The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Negotiate Real Change podcast, where we highlight leaders who are creating positive change in their organizations. The more we talk to leaders in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, the more we started to recognize the patterns of successful change makers within organization. What we found is that when it comes to creating positive change, simply being a passionate professional who's armed with data, statistics, and research is rarely enough to create real change. So in this show, we'll share the secrets behind what it really takes for you to be a successful advocate, ally, and change maker in your organization. My name is Kwame Christian, and I am the founder and CEO of the American Negotiation Institute, where we conduct negotiation and conflict resolution trainings that help to make your difficult conversations easier. We also conduct trainings in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion because we realize that there's a difference between passion and persuasion. And if you want to create real change, you have to be able to negotiate and resolve the conflict that comes with change. And if if you're interested in learning more about what we do, make sure to check out the American Negotiation Institute.com or check the link in the description of this episode. And now, without further ado, let's get into the interview. Jonathan, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Fantastic. Well, we are excited to have you, my friend. So how would you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure, I'd be happy to. My name is Jonathan Lacey and I uh, think the best way for me to frame my background is through the lens of what you do at ANI, which is applying the foundations of negotiation to any difficult conversation in life and business. And I think difficult conversations require that we connect with people in some real or meaningful way. Um, And so this theme of interpersonal skills has woven its way through my background. I went, uh, my undergraduate degree is from a leadership school, uh, West Point. And after that, I was an army officer and I excelled at interpersonal skills. Um, After the army, I sold pharmaceuticals. Again, a field where you uh, try to influence human behavior uh, through your contact with another person worked briefly for a member of Congress, and then I got my main career, which was uh, becoming a a FBI special agent. Did that for just under 22 years. And in that job, you certainly deal with a lot of people on a lot of different levels. And I can talk more about that in detail a little bit later. But through the arc of that career, I found myself being asked to take part in conversations that were increasingly challenging and complex and uh, really honed my negotiation skills. Um, And now I'm in private practice in the consulting world, trying to help people um, at the critical nexus between diversity and security. This is great. And, and listeners, you see, my friends are very humble, right? And he said he went to a leadership school called West Point. <laughs> this is this is great. Listen, this is incredible. So you have a background in, uh, you know, as an FBI special agent, work for uh, somebody on Congress, and you have a background in sales as well. Could we get 
a, a more perfect guest for this podcast. So I appreciate you taking some time with us today, Jonathan. This is exciting. It's it's absolutely my pleasure. I love your podcast and you know, it's a pleasure to be a part of it. I'm honored. Definitely. Oh, man, this is great. Well, listen, this is your your career is fascinating for a number of different reasons. We went through the the, the your, what led you to this point. But I, I want you to give a little bit more detail about your consulting firm, because you are tackling a really interesting challenge. It's a combination of expertise that aligns perfectly with your experience. But I haven't seen out there in the world as frequently as I realized that I need to see it. So tell the listeners about the unique angle of your consulting firm. Absolutely. So what we say is that we are at the critical juncture between diversity and security. And at that intersection point, some potentially in the best of circumstances, potentially traumatic uh, results can happen if people are not operating under a DEI informed uh, methodology. And um, so we are uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and security consulting company. We help people become safer in a physical security standpoint um, without compromising the psychological safety of their neighbors, their customers, and uh, people who just happen to pass by their organization. Yeah, this is great. And it's it, it's so interesting because as we were, were talking before, it became really obvious how necessary this is. And um, I, I've heard before that one of the, the hallmarks of a brilliant idea is that it seems obvious in hindsight. So kudos, you, you checked off that, that brilliance uh, checkbox there because it, it's important. Because like you said, we want people to be physically safe. We, want se- we need to have security in order for people to feel safe. But at the same time, we need to be mindful of the, the psychological safety of the the community members that are being protected by law enforcement. And with what you're doing, you're focusing not only on police officers in general, but also private security as well. And can you paint the picture for the listeners, the distinction between private security and police officers who are employed by like city government, state government, those type of things, because I don't think many people are very clear on what that is. Absolutely. And so Police officers, generally speaking, have more diversity training than private security. Many private security uh, workers have no diversity training whatsoever. Um, What's interesting is that many police officers um, migrate to the private security realm after they retire. I'm one who did that. After I retired, I worked for a security nonprofit organization. And one truism of law enforcement is that it has, generally speaking, across the board, has a diversity problem with respect to its ranks, not adequately representing the demographics of the communities that it serves. Now, there are exceptions to this, but it is generally the case. And so, because people migrate after retirement from law enforcement to private security, Um, Many times we see a corresponding uh, absence of diversity in the private security world. And, you know, again, I work with corporations as well that don't want 
to incur liability as a result of a security guard taking action on their behalf that is tra- causes trauma or injures or kills a member of the public or a customer or a visitor. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. And and let's put this in perspective for the listeners too, because I want to make sure that we're we're giving them practical tools. And I want to be able to paint the pictures for them of the value of the, the type of work that you're doing. Because I, I think what would be helpful is if we think about those core skills that uh, that might be lacking in the industry and paint a picture of what could happen that would be a good outcome versus what could happen which could be a bad outcome without those trainings. Can you give it a couple of examples? Yeah, definitely. I, I think if we go back to where we started, that communication is essentially about establishing a meaningful connection between two or more people. And so that connection, in my opinion, is a key part of the whole field of diversity, equity, equity and inclusion. And, and what I mean by that is if, if we have empathy for the person we're dealing with, let's say I work at a house of worship and I'm an usher and somebody walks in who looks like they may not necessarily belong in that congregation. They don't look like the rest of the people. Um, If I am aware of how my actions might impact that other person in that setting or in any other setting that your listeners can imagine that applies to their business or their lives, then I'm going to have a much better interaction with them than if I just look at this from my own perspective. And I think The first aspect of communication at a high level is to understand where the other person is coming from, and you automatically are going to have a better result than if you just uh, consider your own uh, goals and your own perspective. And I think, you know, another aspect of that's really critically important is to actively listen to the other person. You know, we can um, learn a lot by just asking an opening question and letting the other person talk. And that can also diffuse uh, an initially tense situation. If we just let somebody tell us about themselves, tell us what they need, how we can help them, as opposed to approaching them with a uh, confrontational style, as an example. This is good. Very, very helpful. Because essentially, if you have a better understanding of diversity, equity, and inclusion, then it helps you to empathize at a higher level because you're better able to see things from somebody else's perspective. And so it sounds like for you, when you're thinking about uh, this type of diversity, equity, and inclusion type of work, you're not thinking about it in terms of rules of political correctness that people need to follow in order to be nice to each other. You're thinking about it more in terms of skills acquisitions, how to meaningfully connect so you can do whatever it is that you're trying to do at a higher level. 
does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And we will be right back after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Absolutely right. This isn't about um, politics or political correctness. This is about if I want to be more successful at, at my job, which involves communicating with someone else, then I'm going to necessarily think about where where they are, what they've experienced. Um, that could involve doing some research if, if this is a formal business negotiation. Um, look at their bio, you know, find out where they grew up, where they went to school. Um, look on the walls if this is an in-person or even if it's a Zoom meeting, you can see um, you know, an American flag is is above my head in this little Zoom box that I'm standing in. And that is a big part of my identity. And so um, I think if we use the this empathy to understand a little bit more about the person we're dealing with, we will be more successful. So you're absolutely right. This isn't about political correctness. And, you know, from a macro level, that's been shown in study after study that businesses that are are more diverse, equitable, and inclusive perform better in in various financial metrics. They have an easier time recruiting people. They have better retention rates of employees. They have um, better uh, 
brand recognition um, uh, because people associate their across various demographics um, are aware of their brands. And so uh, it, it's really, there are numerous substantive metrics that are improved. Um, so this really is more about performance than any kind of political correctness. Absolutely. And one of the things that we're, you mentioned earlier was that diversity means different things to different people in different contexts, too. And I think a lot of times we can make the mistake of having a really crystallized, concrete idea of what diversity is because it's going to be different in different contexts. And you had a really cool example. Can you tell the listeners more about that? Sure, absolutely. You know, depending on where you are, if you just say the the word diversity in, in Lebanon, it might mean religious diversity. Uh, if you're talking within a particular organization I used to be associated with, it meant uh, whether you were coming from a law enforcement background or some other background. Um, and so, you know, it can it often is associated with Uh, It's not always about uh, race. It could be about gender. And so it is really important when we use terms like diversity to specify what we're talking about and, you know, in the in the context of our conversation. But, yeah, it it really can mean different things depending on uh, our geography, the organization we're dealing with and other variables like that. Absolutely. And I think one of the most important things for us to realize is that inclusion includes you, whoever you happen to be. And I think that it's easy for people, especially if they identify with the the majority, um, to say, well, DEI isn't for me. No, it's for everybody. And I think it's we we miss out on on people's perspectives when they kind of self-select out and say, oh, no, this probably doesn't include me. No, whoever you are, we want you to be included as well. I think that's really important. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, inclusion means everybody. And we do better if we have your, the proverbial you involved in, in the discussion, whoever you happen to be. And the inclusion uh, simply means that, uh, you know, we recognize that some groups have not uh, had as many opportunities or as much of an opportunity to have their voice heard. And we want to bring them to the table so we can hear everybody, including you, for sure. Definitely. This is great. And let me let me go back to one of the things that you talked about, which is the importance of active listening. And I, I always try to advocate for different audience members. It's almost like I can hear their voices in my head sometimes. So let's imagine there's an audience member out there saying, all right, Jonathan, I'm, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm picking up what you're putting down. But I have a question because in these law enforcement types of situations or a situation where it might be a security guard analyzing a circumstance. Let's, let's use the exact same example that you gave. Let's say it's a private security officer who is um, tasked with protect, uh, protecting a religious organization. Um, and then they see somebody who stands out. It's like, hmm, you don't look like everybody else who's here. So that triggers a little bit of curiosity, um, which I think is a good uh, tenant for somebody who is in that position. 
Now they approach the person and have a conversation. They want to make them feel safe, as you suggested. How do they balance making the person feel safe while still doing their job of protecting and serving while being respectful and giving it enough, giving the conversation enough time as well? You know, that's a great question. I, I was on a panel recently where we discussed this very topic and, and a person who happened to be a person of color who attended a uh, house of worship that had, where she was the only person of color, she and her family, um, went into a house of worship um, and had an experience that was less than ideal. Um, And she was asked that very question. So this comes from somebody who experienced that exact situation. She said, what, what I would have liked to have heard from the security guard is some vulnerability. Maybe they could have even said, you know, I feel really uncomfortable approaching you because I don't want to make you feel badly. But my job is to keep everybody here safe. I've never seen you here before. Is there anything I can do uh, to help you get adjusted? Um, are you a member of the congregation? As opposed to something, um, you know, accusatory or direct, like, uh, w- excuse me, what are you doing here? Um, mm. You know, I, I was actually at a public uh at, I'm sorry, I was actually at a uh, park that was um, uh, a playground behind the um, private school near where I lived. And I've told this story uh, um, on a national webinar on this exact topic where a person acting in a security capacity um, walked up to me as I was playing um, basketball with my sons on Thanksgiving Day and said, who are you? And what are you doing here? And this person actually happened to be the groundskeeper of a Christian school. Um, and it immediately put me on the defensive. I felt humiliated. Um, and so I can answer the question from my own perspective. It would have been great if he had just said, hello, I'm the groundskeeper here. Um, are you guys planning on using, uh, did you clear your presence here or, um, and what's interesting here is that it turns out the, um, as the conversation continued, uh, I said, I actually live around the corner and he, he said he didn't believe me. And, you know, obviously, um, that's not a model of how we might want to represent an organization as we keep it safe. Um, and later when I spoke with the administration of the school, they apologized profusely. They said, we have a longstanding policy of letting people in the community use our facilities. And so, you know, that's another reason that we need to educate people who are acting on behalf of our companies, of our houses of worship or other organizations and law enforcement on the, the potentially traumatizing impact their actions can have. And these are actions they're taking on behalf of your organization. 
And, and they are people who are, you know, in this case, he was uh, a groundskeeper, the, facil- the facilities manager. Uh, in some cases, it's a, you know, an official security guard. Regardless of, of what it is, when people are acting on behalf of your organization, they should be doing so from an empathetic standpoint, recognizing the impact of their words. Oh, that's a great example. I, I, I apologize that you, it's unfortunate that you had to go through that. And the reality is, I think um, most people of color living in this country can relate to that type of experience where your legitimacy of your just mere existence is questioned in a location, right? Especially when you see other people who are enjoying those same uh, types of uh, situations completely unharassed. Right. And so it becomes very clear that there is a there is an othering that's occurring. So, again, inclusion, definitely not feeling very included there. And we're recognizing for me as a lawyer, I say, okay, well, now we have the potential of lawsuits. Right. The organization can get sued for improper behavior of their security or the people who are representing them. Um, from a business owner perspective, I see a branding issue. If you're being harassed, racially harassed by my employees now, now I got, I have a branding problem, right? And just the people problem, this is not how we treat people, right? So there's, there's a lot that goes into this and it's the, the training that you described could be one of those solutions for sure. Exactly. You're not just, uh, it's multifaceted. The benefits are multifaceted and you know, as you mentioned, it's a business thing, it's a liability thing, it's an ethical thing. You know, how do we want to be out in the community? Do we want to be perceived as, um, and are we, a place that is welcoming? And in fact, I had friends and neighbors who played a big football game. We were actually hanging out before that, so we knew the place was was open to everybody. Um, but, you know, again, uh, there are times when y- you um, decide not to necessarily get into a big argument on Thanksgiving Day in front of your children. So, yeah, really, I just I, I couldn't agree more that there are benefits in a number of areas, both the ethical area, the business case, the liability case, and you know, really, they all add up to let's be prepared and do things in a purposeful way as opposed to just by happenstance or the lack of adequate training. Definitely. And so, Jonathan, this will, this will be the last question I ask. Um, if you were to think about a consulting firm that really spoke to this issue of training uh, people in, in the police department and people in private security on how to uh, manage these tensions with as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion. If you're thinking about a consulting firm, perhaps one that was led by somebody who has over 20 years of FBI experience, maybe a graduate from West Point. Do you have any suggestions for a consulting firm that might be able to solve this problem? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, right. I, you know, look, I think a uh, consulting firm that that uh, had that kind of questionable leadership would need to. Um, be engaged in meeting people where they are. Um, we want to be sure that um, we're not here to demonize 
anybody. You know, the, you mentioned um, if somebody happens to be a member of the majority, and you know they're they're just not sure about this DEI stuff. You know, I'm here to say that you know you are part of the solution. We need you, and we are we in the DEI community are appealing to you because we need your support in hearing the other voices that have great ideas and supporting those people. Because a lot of times the, the critical element here in DEI, like I said, is understanding that the exact same set of circumstances can impact two different people differently based on their lived experience. And so, you know, the example I always give is if I'm pulled over by the police and I, I see the red lights behind me and I hear the yelp of the siren, I'm, I just uh, swallowed hard because I get nervous. And that's based on some personal lived experiences. Um, that may be different for other people. And I, you know, that's in spite of the fact that I went to West Point, served in the army, was an FBI agent for over 20, 21 years. And um, I still feel that. And so someone else might get angry and irritated and um, maybe mouth off to the officer. I, I guarantee oh. I have never mouthed off to a police officer. My hands are at 10 and 2 on the steering wheel, as I've instructed my sons to do. And, and you know, that's a whole other topic, the talk um, people have with their their sons of color, um, but I, I think what's critical is for us all to work together to understand that different people have um, different lived experiences, and that causes us to have different impact from different from the same set of circumstances. So if you see somebody in a meeting who's, who may seem upset by a, a, what was just a lighthearted joke, um, it could be related to that, that factor. And, and I think it's just really important uh, for us to remember that. Oh, well said. Well said, Jonathan, really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your wisdom again, let the listeners know about the, how they can get in touch with you, your company. And um, I'm going to put links in the description to make it easy for them. Absolutely. It's uh, securityofbuffalo.com is our website and info at securityofbuffalo.com is uh, where you can send inquiries if you need more information. Thank you so much for the, the uh, opportunity to be on this wonderful podcast, Kwame. It was always a pleasure. Hey, my pleasure. This was great. Thanks for coming on. Okay. Thank you. Congratulations. You've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.